0: This conference is all about bringing together that powerful triumvirate, people, capital, and ideas.
1: In 2015, the Paris Climate Accords set the target of limiting global warming to well below two degrees. To reduce the disastrous effects of climate change, we need a whole economy approach. Business, government, and finance working together, taking swift action to reduce emissions Supporting and championing the innovators in cleantech, promoting leadership that sees decarbonisation as an opportunity, an opportunity for innovation, an opportunity for global collaboration, an opportunity to build a better world for the future generation. The people here today, the people driving this change. Welcome to Innovation Zero. Thank you all for coming here today. On behalf of the panel, Thank you for this this attending this session on skills for a sustainable skyline task force and green skills for London's commercial built environment. So my name is Chris Oldham. I'm the senior policy and program manager for the City of London Corporation's skills policy team and relevance this, I'm the project lead for the skills for a sustainable skyline task force that's, that aims to uh, address workforce shortages for sustainable commercial buildings across central London. So for those that haven't come across the city of london corporation before we're the local authority for london square mile and the heart of our financial and professional services sector in the uk we did some research last year around the future of the financial and professional services sector and the ability for london to offer low carbon commercial buildings to our financial and professional services sector in short we found a distinct lack of skilled workers across the full project lifecycle of sustainable commercial buildings is threatening our ability to offer low-carbon offices. In response, we decided to take a collaborative approach and convene together stakeholders and experts from across the built environment sector to look at how we can use our collaborative power to upskill our existing workers in the built environment and to attract diverse new entrants into the sector so that we're ready to deliver a globally competitive skyline in London. I'll now hand you over to our outstanding uh, steering board colleagues who are leading the Skyline Task Force. Over to you all.
0: Hi, um, my name is Benjamin O'Connor. I'm a director at NLA. We are London's built environment community. uh, And I'm also director of, it says City Centre there. It's now called the London Centre at Guildhall. um, So do go and visit. Um, We've got a really vested interest in this as a topic. We have a membership of over 500 built environment professional members. So big businesses like JLL, uh, big construction companies, um, but also right down to individual architects, landscape architects, even property lawyers. So everybody who is involved in building better cities. And we've had our own survey work and and run think tanks on this issue. And skills is coming up right up there as one of the top things that people are concerned about. I'm not going to go into much more more detail on that now because I know we've got some questions um, on that coming up.
2: Hi, everyone. Uh, Really great to be here. I'm Emma Hoskin. I'm head of sustainability for JLL's UK business. And JLL, for those who don't know, is a property advisory firm. So we uh, do almost anything associated with with real estate advice. we're seeing this not only ourselves in terms of the skills that we need to be able to offer our, uh, adv- the right advice to our clients, but we're seeing it in our client base as well in terms of the speed at which they're able to deliver and how they need to transition their own workforce to understand sustainability a lot more. So it hits in almost every aspect of the property life cycle. I think that's you know that was my interest in getting involved in the task force because I actually see there is a whole systemic approach that we need to take to how we upskill um, the the built environment workforce from professional services all the way through to those who are on sites and, and the Brookies and the fit-out contractors. So really great to be here and we'll talk more in a bit.
3: I'm uh, the Director of Sustainability at Brookfield Properties. uh Brookfield Properties we have a majority is high-rise office, commercial office buildings with about 5,000 square feet of office space. We also have um, retail parks across the country as well. So Brookfield Asset Management, are our parent company, and they're they're massive. To be honest, they are huge. So I, I'm here talking more from Brookfield Properties' perspective. Uh, previously, I was a head of sustainability at Mace Group in the construction arm. And I suppose a bit about myself. I. I studied construction management and was working as a site manager and then made the um, pivotal role into s- sustainability. The Main reason was I just was passionate about trying to drive change and innovation and having worked with some really intelligent construction managers, they were very much set in their way and were quite happy with the way the industry was going and um, sustainability was my sort of way out of that and, and trying to drive change.
1: That's Connor. So for the panel, what workforce shortages or emerging roles are you all seeing in your respective fields around those sustainable commercial developments across central London? Oh, no. I'll, I'll
0: go first. <laughs> um, so yeah, so we, we have done some work with London Chamber of Commerce um, and our own survey work to really identify where those big skills gap, uh, gaps are. And as has come out in the report, um, and those various um, other surveys I mentioned, there are some really alarming shortfalls in skills, and we can talk about some of the reasons for that. Uh, one really interesting stat that I found was, of all the construction companies that are part of the London Chamber of Commerce, uh, 60% of them say that they do not have access to the skills they need to actually deliver the projects they're currently delivering. That's basically a 60% shortfall on all projects across the UK. That's insane. So it's something we really, really, really need to, um, to look at and think about. One of the early Early stats, actually, in the report, the foreword of the report, it looks at retrofit coordinators, and I think it's 2022. There's something like 510 or 506 retrofit coordinators against a target of over 30,000 that the government want by 2030. So. It's not, it's not identifying where, it's everywhere. There, the, the, this is across the board in the built environment that we're seeing this. And we can talk more about the, the, the reasons for that probably later.
2: I, th- I think for me, I think what's the interesting statistic is not about where we are today, but it's about actually where we see the demand in the future. So we know as an example, through the research that we've done, that in London alone, the demand for net zero offices is around half of what the supply is at the moment. So we know that there's a shortfall. We know that there's a gap to be filled in terms of the new build offices that need to come. And this is just the office sector, not the whole of the, the real estate sector. But we know that there's a there's a shortfall in terms of how that pipeline needs to respond to hit the demand that our, that our tenants have through their own science-based targets or net zero carbon commitments. So it's thinking about the future trajectory of skills that we need as well. So we know there's a problem today. We know we don't have the right number of skills today. We know that we need to do a lot of work to upskill our existing workforce, but we also know there's a massive opportunity For us to really take the lead in delivering net zero carbon space for our clients if we can respond to the demand that we know is there. The tenant demand is there for these spaces, we just need to get ourselves in gear to deliver it. Perfect.
3: I would say I think being on at four p.m. is a got a disadvantage. I've sat through probably about nine different uh, presentations today. Uh, all been great, and I think the common theme today has been commitments. We we've done the commitments. Everyone's made bold commitments, and now we're moving into the action stage. And I'm, yeah, I'm going to repeat what everyone else has said throughout today. Brookfield are in that stage now, where we're trying to like action it. We we committed and have submitted our science-based target last year and don't get me wrong that took a lot of work that took a lot of data analysis a lot of thought to to get to that point but now we know that all of our buildings need to uh, decarbonize we're going through every single building having a decarbonization plan and that's just like scratching the surface once we're now in the uh, delivery phase the 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 amount of um, skills that we're going to need in the supply chain to be able to deliver it is huge and that's just one of the landlords i've heard british land lancet grosvenor they've all made the same commitment so uh, i mean we're probably all singing from the same page here but um this the demand's going to be high that's for sure that's connor um as colleagues in the panel are
1: aware the skyline task force has been working hard over the last year to create an evidence-based report due for published in the coming months to outline where we see emerging uh, skills gaps where there are systemic skills barriers to action and what we could feasibly do within the power available to drive some change around upskilling and workforce expansion. So mindful at our our panel, I've had a little sneak peek at the draft report. Are there any emerging findings and recommendations from the report that really surprised
3: you? The biggest thing for me um, is definitely comes down to speed. I think what well, the, the report is genuinely like a, a nice way of setting the scene. However, we know and we've had this discussion like it's the very start of a, of, of a lot of work that needs to be done, and that's the whole point of the the task force. Um, there was some yeah stats that have reinforced it, and hopefully, a lot of other companies will see the kind of commercial benefits um, for upskilling and and moving into sort of the the green skills space. I think that's what we have as a task force and this is what we need to be able to deliver throughout this we've take the report that shows the demands there and then we really need to sort of raise that and turn it into a sort of feasible well the smaller organisations need that reassurance that this is where it's going. So um, for for me, I think that reassurance piece out of the report was probably the most impactful. That it is definitely a requirement.
2: And and one of the other stats in the report said so there was a survey done. Around a hundred people responded to that survey, and only a third of the respondents are actually taking action at the moment. And that's in a way surprising, but maybe in a way not surprising. I don't know. Um, but I think that's that's the thing where, you know, actually, yes, we can see the problem. The evidence report will tell us that. But how many people are actually taking action to do this? How many people are taking on uh, graduates and apprenticeships um, in these new skill areas and looking at upskilling their workforce? It's not as much as you would expect, given the nature of the crisis that we're in and the trajectory that we can see. And that's a bit surprising. You know, if you're thinking about risk management as a, as a business owner or risk management as a building owner, and you know that you've got to take these steps, then what is stopping you from taking action? And that's the purpose of the work that we're doing following this report is to say, OK, what is stopping people from taking action? Why are they not investing in skills? Why are they not able to get the training that's required and, and take apprenticeships on board and things like that? So that's that's kind of the mm. next phase of work, isn't it?
0: Yeah, I, I think um you, you hit the nail on the head. It's the scale of the problem, I think, struck me. And then the scale of the inaction is both really, really apparent. And and there's a a stat that comes out in the report, which is 10% of all jobs in London by 2050 are going to be green skills jobs. Um, and yet there are a real lack of apprenticeships, apprenticeships that are taking place are not being taught sustainability. They're not being taught about the things that we need to deliver our future projects. So it is quite alarming. As someone who's a generalist, I actually trained as an artist. This is a relatively new territory to me, uh, even though I work very closely with the built environment. So it, it's quite astonishing. And I can't think of um, other areas where there's, there's such kind of apathy around taking action on, on what is a really serious issue. So that was probably the big surprise for me.
2: And actually, Chris, the um, Climate Change Committee, some of you might have seen it today, the Climate Change Committee released a report on delivering net zero carbon and the jobs that that's going to create uh, for the UK economy. And they say, this isn't built environment specific, but they say 725,000 jobs will be created from going moving towards net zero carbon, two thirds of which will be in growth sectors, which includes construction. But the, the flip side of that, so there's a real advantage here, right? And if the UK government can this act together we can really respond to that and really um get the economic benefit of that the flip side of that though is seven percent of the uk workforce is at risk if they don't upskill and if they don't respond to the net zero transition and i think that doesn't get enough airtime. um actually you know what what businesses are at risk and what jobs are at risk because there needs to be a transition i think what we need to do is think about not only okay how do we skill and, and change things but how do we think about what that means in terms of a a just transition to net zero carbon, which skill sets and which jobs and which areas of the country might be impacted adversely by not transitioning towards net zero carbon. So I think it's a timely discussion to have today with the Climate Change Committee report that's just come out.
1: And a a nice segue into our next question, which is about our task force. One of the aims is to, as well as attracting new people, to upskill and reskill the people currently working in the built environment. So what do the panel see? as a re- the main systemic barriers to action, preventing us from upskilling and reskilling our workers currently in the sector?
0: Yeah, I, th- I think there's, there's several. I mean, the obvious ones I'm not going to dwell too much on, but they have to be spoken about. Um, Brexit. We all know there's been a huge um, transference of skills um, back into Europe and around the world. That's just a fact. Um, it's not debatable. It happened. Um, The pandemic, you know, I don't want to bang on about pandemic, but there is a uh, there was a definitely net migration, certainly out of London, of a lot of these skills. Now, whether that was abroad or whether that was outside of um, London, from a London perspective, we lost somewhere between 250,000 and 500,000 people. That number we don't really understand yet. The census data is not particularly accurate. But in terms of other kind of systemic barriers, um, traditionally careers in the built environment have been seen as sort of working class careers. If you think of, you know, um, people aren't sold the dream of becoming a builder at school. um, um, so, uh, and there is that. There's this uh, sense that's kind of cultural that young people feel that if they go into a career that's a trade, that maybe they won't be earning as much or they won't be as respected. So there is a really um, big problem with people's perceptions of the sector, and that's actually uh, we run a learning program at NLA, and one thing we do is connect up sort of maybe slightly more unusual built environment careers with young people across. the harris academies which serve the bottom five percent in terms of deprivation across london Um, and one of the things we found um there are careers i didn't even think about like um, stonemasons so the stonemasons came in and gave a workshop to young people and you know you can earn a six figure salary being a stonemason putting gargoyles on churches in the city of london Uh, completely bizarre to think about on a daily basis but we're not telling or, or sharing these kinds of innovative and interesting careers with young people We're also not exciting them with the idea that they can help shape the cities that they live and work in. I mean, that to me is really exciting, but the people we have going out there, they're not particularly inspiring, (laughs) I've seen. But I think if we can reframe the way we talk about careers in the built environment, of course people are gonna be more excited. There is. I'm sorry, I'm stealing all the points. I no, but the, the the other thing is obviously that there is that, that issue around diversity. You know, we know that um, there's a really, really. We run a we run the diverse leaders program at NLA with 18 organisations, and actually JLL and Brookfield were both involved at some point. The representation in the built environment versus um, the London population and even the UK population is really diabolical, really, really poor, and it's really hard to say across built environment what careers you include in those stats. Uh, but certainly when you look at the number of bang people in London, which again, the census data is very confusing because there was a does not identify as white box, which is a tricky one. Um, but it's somewhere up at around 46, 50%. It, it's really up there now. Um, when you look at the construction industry, we're about three, 4%. Um, you look at something like planning, 40% of all planners are women, which is really good. But only 13 or 14% make, make its leadership positions. So there is a, also a systemic issue around diversity and people not Seeing the industry as reflecting them, or or being about,
3: them. I can probably recap on some of the points. I think the image is going to be key. I think that's where we're going to, if, if we're going to succeed in attracting sort of new talent. And I think you, you did mention it, the the opportunity of innovation and um, actually creative thinking. It's not necessarily. Yeah, the kind of the the image at the moment probably isn't isn't in the right place, and I think just things like we mentioned some of the stats of three thousand new heat pump engineers are required a year. I think that was the one I pulled out from that, and that's huge. I mean, everyone that's been talking today is. Removing gas boilers and and switching to heat pumps of some sort, and there are other technologies, but that's that's the sort of seems to be the chosen one by most at the moment. So that that's going to be a, a really, really important to attract the right people into those roles and um, actually be able to deliver. it. I think the bit that that we need to sort of really focus on is that as landlords we're still coming up with our plans, we're still working out what it is that needs to be done, and I think the biggest risk we have here as an industry is that we get to it and go right. We know what we need to do. We need a thousand he- heat pumps. Let's start putting them in. And then the industry is just like, oh, well, it's going to take us a couple of years to get there. So, you know, it's, climate change is unique in that sense. It is. Real urgency. I mean, it probably is. It should be treated as as urgent as the pandemic was, and how quickly we, we we reacted to that. Um, and I think all we can do is actually start to plan ahead and actually work out what it is and try to get alignment. And I think that's something the report talks a lot about about what the industry could do better to look at that pipeline, to look at what is coming down the line. And you know, I think I know it, and I think I from my peers know that it's happening. But actually, clearly, uh, the rest of the nation don't, doesn't know it because we haven't got the people coming through to deliver it. So.
2: The elephant in the room is government policy, I guess. Um, you know, do we have enough clarity from government in terms of what is the trajectory for the built environment? There's no clear policies on commercial retrofit programs. There's no clear policy on what they're going to do on embodied carbon. There's no clear policy in what they're going to do on operational uh, energy ratings. So, you know, companies like yours will be setting the path, but there'll be a bunch of, you know, a bunch of people who aren't because they they can't afford to or they're just waiting for government to try and help lead the way. And I think that, you know, it, it can be a needle mover if you just set a trajectory and and put a marker in the sand, then the, then the economy will respond to that. And because we don't have that, there's all, you know, the, there's then businesses have to respond in terms of what they think the market's going to do and where they think the market is going to respond and some businesses will get it right and some businesses will get it wrong. Um, so it creates it creates a lot of risk as well as then meaning that actually there's no clear, really clear trajectory in terms of how supply chain responds or indeed how training providers can respond. And that's another challenge that we saw in the report, actually, the training providers that are out there, are they really delivering what businesses need? Do they really understand what businesses need to do to transition their workforce or create new jobs and skills? And are the training programs that are available now through universities, through the um, different trade associations really hitting the mark? And I think that, you know, those two things in a way kind of go together. Have we got the right trajectory? Do we know where we're going? can the market then respond, the supply chain market and the training market? And I think that, you know, you, you start layering all these challenges on top of each other and then it just becomes really, really, um, really complicated. And I think as part of that, SMEs who are, I would say, the most at risk um, in terms of potential inability to respond, actually, do they even realise Are they as well-informed and as well-educated? And is the information out there? And is it accessible to them to know, actually, hang on a sec, this is the trajectory. This is where we know we need to get to. And how might I plan that into my business plan? And how can I afford to do that? And I think that's a real challenge. The SMEs are are probably more of a challenge than some of the the big organizations who can afford to to make those investments. Interesting.
1: I'd like to lean in on Benjamin's point around the poor perception that young people have built environment careers. So how might we go about changing the way that young people see the built environment as a great place to come and work?
0: Somebody else
2: want to go. No. <laughs> we we do um we do some work with a charity called Elba, which is the East London Business Alliance, and we get um we get the kids in into the office a couple of times a year, and it is amazing to I mean the energy in the room, the noise in the room, <laughs> uh, enormous, but the energy in the room to see how they are responding to these new ideas about what the built environment all about is really. Um, It really gives you a bit of a buzz to see kind of what the younger generation think. And I think to to Benjamin's point, they just don't really think about it. It's not one that's promoted, particularly in schools. But once it is, I think, you know, that there's probably something that they can can buy into. I think also a lot of the younger population today are really concerned about the future, rightly so, um, in terms of where we are and actually want to be part of that solution they probably don't really some of them reflect on how much they engage with buildings and communities on an everyday basis but if you bring those two things together and say well actually all of us are interacting with buildings on a daily basis and we you know we've got a collective understanding of the climate crisis that we're in and wanting to create socially cohesive communities then actually you can bring those two things together and actually um you know make a career out of that and i think you know there's just this kind of needing to bring those two concepts together to to really kind of Enable people to understand the impact that they can have, and also make a really good career out of it. And to, to Benjamin's point earlier, there are new jobs that are um, that are evolving every day, and also people can make a decent wage out of this. You know that there are there are a skill shortage in this sector, and certainly we're seeing it at JLL in terms of the um, the um, demand for wage increases for people who are who have. Highly, highly skilled but but uh, very few of them stonemasons make more than I do so uh, <laughs> then, <laughs> what, <laughs>
4: gonna,
3: I'm going to retrain <laughs> <laughs> no, and it's worth pointing out positive notes as well as the negative I think the benefit we've got is that Gen Z that um, they want roles and jobs with purpose and I think that is something that we need to sort of really focus in on that you know, green skills are you know, you're actually having a, an impact you're not doing something going home at the end of the day and sort of feeling deflated if you haven't actually achieved anything with real purpose Um and I think, uh, yeah, yeah, I lost your of thought of that, but I'll let you jump in there.
0: How long have I got? Because this one is a big one, but um, just picking up on, on your first point, Emma, around kind of the exposure and bringing um, kids in, I think is really important. Uh, and also the kind of that link with... Um, the climate crisis and them understanding. And there was there was one other surprising thing that came out of this, which I should really know, but um, we always talk about 40% of carbon emissions is, uh, uh, is what the built environment is responsible for. But in the report, we talk about London. In London, the built environment's responsible for 76% of carbon in London, which is really, really astonishing. So actually teaching kids about that and the impact they'd have in careers that help shape cities is really important. But one point I really did want to make is too often, things like workshops or school visits, that they're kind of in isolation and there's no follow-up. And, you know, we, we talk about, oh, should we get to the kids in Key Stage 3? Or is it when they're at university or in their apprenticeship? Or do we support them in their career? Well, it's all of that. And the problem is there are a lack of organizations, I'm gonna do an NLA plug here now, um, that, that do this. So w- we're taking an approach which is um, right from primary, but with a focus up onto Key Stage 3, 4, five, where we, um, Get lots of our members. Actually, we had somebody from JLL speak um, who will give talks, will give lectures, will do site visits, will do all of these things that can kind of inspire young people with careers and build a built environment. We'll then work with them on um, routes into further education or apprenticeships, um, work experience. And from there, we've got our next gen program, which supports them in their early career, but also helps them into um, the sort of pipeline to leadership. And that's what's kind of needed is it can't just be a, oh, okay, they're inspired, now what? Like mm. there needs to be more of a thorough approach in getting young people to, cap- to capitalize on their energy and that kind of, I'm inspired by something, how do I get there? Because um, there are too many other barriers in their way, um, and the the points on diversity is is a really really clear one. So yeah,
2: yeah, and I think actually I was just thinking we we um, WWF are our charity partner, and they've just launched a program called Sustainable Futures, which is a, exactly what you've just said. It's about getting sustainability into the curriculum. It's about making sure that those kids have a flow through in terms of um, how that um, how they how they receive that information throughout their their um their education, and it's also about Partnering education with um, work experience so that people can actually see in practice some of the stuff that they've kind of learned in theory. And I think for me, I mean, I'm one that learns by experience rather than sitting down reading stuff. So for me, that's really important, actually, you know, us us bringing ourselves to the table and saying, okay, the training, you know, the schools can do the education bit. And we're here as someone who is willing to take on kids and do a work experience or a a work interaction or just, you know, talk to them about what they want to do. So it's it's that follow through. I absolutely agree with you. It's super important.
3: I think ultimately as well, companies need to be bolder, don't they? And I guess the ones that are bold will benefit from it. Like I have to admit, from a previous company at Base, um, you know, we also always go through this sort of recruitment and trying to look at growing a team and really try to pitch it and give a business case and why we need to grow. And then just like overnight, it was like the CEO just went, Do "You know what? This is an opportunity. Grow the team as big as you can." And when I left, it was a team of 95, and I think now they're up to about 130. So, I've probably been in a bit of a bubble in that sense to see where in the the, the right or some organizations are like, let's just, you know, upskill, upskill, with well, they're taking on like 18 graduates a year in sustainability. And it's like, it's, you know, maybe I've kind of seen that that's happening everywhere. And I think in all honesty, it's not, but you know, they're benefiting from it now. And maybe as soon as the word's out, other companies will be like, oh, okay. There is actual, you know, value to us as a business. Not only are we saving the planet, but we're also, um, can, can improve our actual bo- bottom line as well.
1: Definitely. So one thing that's come up already is the need for action the time for talking about upskilling and, and attractions over. And this evidence-based report, which the Skyline Task Force is looking to launch in the coming months, will not be a dry piece of academia. It's designed to be a call to action to the sector to start collaborating and taking real decisive action. So my last question to the, the panel, probably open for questions, is twofold. First, if you had to choose one thing that this Skyline Task Force could do to achieve real change in the upskilling and attraction space, what would it be? My, my, my follow-up question is, If by the end of his task force in 2025, there was one key outcome to show success, what would it be? Over to you. I don't mind jumping in. Nice, easy question.
3: I, I will caveat that. Having looked at who's on the task force, it, there are genuinely some of the most like impressive uh, sort of brains in the industry. So um, that is reassuring to think that we are gonna have the best, no, well, yeah. <laughs> no, nice there is kinda, gen, gen, you genuinely, genuinely, <laughs> I was kind of going through the list thinking, wow, like this is, you know, managed to sort of pull in the best of the best. And for me, it sounds more simple than it's gonna be, but having a very clear pathway for the industry. So exactly what we keep talking about, like making it very visible for organizations and give them that reassurance that this is this is exactly what, what what's required from a skills perspective. And the bit the bit that personally would love to see is the 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 image of the industry. And you know, actually I'm thinking on the spot here, but I remember for years coming from construction, I, I got so much stick when I decided to go from construction management to sustainability and everyone would be like why are you doing that and I used to and actually to be honest when I was at parties and stuff I used to just be like I'm still working construction management I mean that was like 10 years ago but now it is nice that you're proud of it you're like I'm actually doing something with purpose that, that makes a difference and I think the higher we can actually rate that so people are almost like I really wish I could go from banking into sustainability or even transition from sort of another role in banking to green finance and working and, and transitioning through that that that's where That'd be amazing if we can help facilitate that.
2: Um. So I think having mentioned government once, I probably should mention them again. So I think, you know, in terms of the key outcome, lots of the recommendations we're going to have and lots of the work that needs to be done is is about getting government into a position where the policies and the levers are right. And apprenticeship levies is a really good example that's not working at the moment. Um. so making sure that the that, that government is responding to the climate change committee report today responding to our our report and actually kind of making some some traction and actually i was i was reading today that at cop uh, cop 28 in the uae there's going to be an ask of delegates to commit to to green skills as part of the commitments that were taken away into the final a uh, final version of the of the agreement that's hopefully agreed at cop twenty twenty eight. so if that can happen then that will drive government you know we'll make a public commitment to doing that if that gets in into the agreement there for cop 28 so fingers crossed so so Government has to respond to this. They can't keep sitting on their heels. They can't, you know, see the stats, see the narrative, hear what's what what's been taught by the industry and continue on the path that we are, which leads us to having the need for a little bit more of a joined up government to be able to do that. So that's definitely kind of one of the key outcomes in terms of in terms of me personally, what I want to see. We're spending a lot of lot of time and effort training um within JLL, our own colleagues. And, you know, my my remit is almost to do do ourselves out of a job. You know, can we get to the position where every every real estate professional whatever bit bit of the real estate supply value chain they're in actually has this properly baked into their understanding of what their job is so your job is not to you know just lay a brick as you did it yesterday your job is to lay a low carbon brick um, as we need it to be done tomorrow and understanding the implications of, of that and the implications of excessive waste on construction sites and things like that so so that's kind of how i that's that's probably past 2 years though i'm afraid
0: <laughs> um, i've got a sort of a a very short term and a longer term one. And then I'll talk about the 2025 piece. Well, 2025 is very close, Chris, so (laughs) very optimistic. Mine is going to be a government thing as well. I think as a task force, um, and to your point around who is on this task force, I mean, Brookfield is the third biggest landowner in London. You're the first biggest landowner in London. So not you personally, but City of London. (laughs) Um, So there's a lot of power of the people in that group. And as you say, there's people like Stuart Lipton, there's some really um, incredible names. I think we would have the, the ability to lobby government to actually put a policy in place where we can gain access to some of the skills internationally that we have lost. In the short term, I don't see any other way of fixing the problem because the training, yes, we can do that, but that is a that is a long-term approach. Um, in the short term, we're facing these these real problems in the next few years that are, are, are going to be incredibly detrimental to London and the UK. Um, then within the task force, I think, um, uh, to your point, Emma, I think encouraging the businesses within the task force to give their time and funding to programs that actually support young people coming into their offices or doing study tours for young people. So actually making sure that that's happening is really good and building them into a program. And then by 2025, (laughs) I think the image thing is really important. I do think that 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 is starting to shift, but I'd love to be able to go into a a room of schoolchildren and not the first thing come out of their mouth is to demonize developers, because actually, you know, there are you know, people who are doing this very well, but developers in particular have a very, very bad reputation with the public and, and with, with young people. And then I'd also like to see, in terms of baked-in policies, that approach around um, baked-in diversity policies, which is something we're working really closely on, which I think is part of the whole approach.
1: Thanks, Benjamin. Well, uh, so, say thanks to our panel. Some really, really good points there, quite thought-provoking. I've seen some hands already emerging from the audience. We've got a bit of time for questions. Before I do that, I'll just say a, a general call-out to you all. That this task force is an open call to action. We'll work with absolutely anybody that's got us passionate about the skills agenda, the inclusion agenda, the sustainability agenda. Joining us is very, very easy. We're not after your money yet. Right. It will consist of an email to me and we'll very, very happily bring you on board the Skyline Task Force to drive some real change. Quick one for me. Until then, I've got some brothy mics here and I think we had a few hands up already the questions for the panel. Oh, short job.
4: Hi. Um, my name's Ivan Tucker, I'm a founder and director of a company called generation c for climate and it's all about connecting the climate stories and innovations the solutions that companies like you are doing with school kids so it's really interesting that you talk about some of the stuff that we're trying to promote and i think to your point it's so much of the interventions are one off events you know come along to school or have a work experience or you know, visit a, a company for mm-hmm. a half a day and then you go home and forgotten about it tomorrow because something else has happened what we're looking to do is connect companies' climate stories on an ongoing basis every term with, um, with the, the theories the kids are learning every week and then relating the, the, the stories to those so the kids get to understand it, but showcasing what are the green careers, what are the opportunities and most importantly what are the solutions because the biggest problem is that the general public have no idea about the kind of things that you've just been talking about um, on average. You, know, you might find an individual school or a, a teacher that is taking, uh, taking action Collectively across the whole of the education system, schools are clueless about it. And it's not something that it's a few thousand people we need to do, it's, it's hundreds of thousands of people need to understand that sustainability is going to be part of every job of the future and they need to learn about it now. So, the most important thing is for me is to get companies like you to be much, invest in a much longer term, deep engagement with schools, which we're doing with programs. And I'd like to come and chat to you all about it afterwards, So, that's my plug. Um, but, why, what do you think? Because government obviously has to set the policy, but ultimately, it's companies that have to step forward because you're the ones who who, are wait, who don't have the skilled talent. And if you don't have the talent, you can't grow. You can't deliver your targets. So you need to invest in making the effort to get out there with the skills. So why do you think so many companies are not doing that effectively at the moment? And what what are the barriers to companies doing that to communicating effectively? And why? How can that change? Yeah, I can. I That's can, an easy
1: question.
0: Yeah, no, I, um, I I can. I've been working on this deeply for the last six months, so I, I can. I've got a, a, some answers for you. Um, I think that some of the bigger companies that, you know, they do have a, you know, their CSR policy, and they do have an approach where they want to get school kids in, they find it very difficult to reach schools and to actually come up with a policy of, I hate the term hard to reach, but you know, they, they find it very difficult to engage, they also don't. don't understand the value of their own proposition. And the teachers also don't understand the value of their proposition, because they have a curriculum, which is designed for not much, to be honest. Um, my my, bro- my brother's a consultant at Harris, which is how this kind of partnership happened. But actually, you know, the geography, it, it's, it's closest link is geography, but it really doesn't, as you will know, it doesn't really cover the things we need it to cover. So it's kind of a, a lacking on both sides. So I think organisations like yours, um, like us at NLA, Future for London, Centre for London, building a network where we can actually go to some of the bigger companies and say, look, we've got 55 schools across London that we're working with, where kids can engage directly with what you're doing and we will follow and support them through their journey is incredibly important. But it really is just a, a lack of understanding of how to engage with schools in a meaningful way. So, and then as I say, the la- lack of understanding on, on the teacher's side of how they get that to tick the boxes, that offset, want them to tick. So that, that's another thing, actually looking at the education system itself uh, and being more realistic about the skills that we need to be taught at uh, school.
2: I think I think there's a lot of coordination that's needed to to get that engagement right and targeted in the right way right you know you you could randomly go into a bunch of schools and, and talk about stuff but actually meaningful engagement I think is really important and that's what needs um you know the resource from 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 our from our side to make that happen and that's you know that's not to be under, underestimated really I think to do things properly you've got to put the resource behind it so that's I I'd say another barrier to that so yeah I, I had another point I completely forgot it so
3: no no I mean yeah, so it is a challenge, and I think the other thing sounds very corporate answer, but it's also measuring it. I think you you, do, you mentioned the impact and trying to actually, it's not as simple as carbon. Unfortunately, as in when it comes to carbon, you can put a meter on it and usually track how much it is. Whereas actually teaching and that, that engagement with schools and and the, the learning they get, it's really difficult to. To sort of turn it into a metric and track it i know there's some great things like the social value portal and a lot of other sort of metrics available um and i guess it is mo it is definitely moving i think even sort of in the last few years we've seen companies actually trying to track it and record it i guess looking in on myself is how does a sort of a order and or potentially you know, overseeing tier one contractors push that down the supply chain and make sure they're doing it i mean realistically you know, our actual um, the number of people that manage from Brookfield is pretty small we've got 130 people in the whole of the UK so it's not that many of us to actually go out and have that impact whereas if we can work it into the supply chain that we work with and, and put put sort of a bigger emphasis for them to do it then that's where we'll, we'll actually get the sort of mass we need to find. I,
2: I remembered the point I was going to make um, we are lots of the tenders and to your point about pushing it down the supply chain actually lots of the tenders that we're doing on behalf of government at the moment have a big element of them through the social value act which is about social value that you're delivering so in 10 or 20 percent of a tender might be what social value are you delivering so there's an opportunity here um so you're you're well placed to help us respond to that but it's very what what we find quite hard is we can't have a coordinated program that says right we will engage with these schools here because it depends on which tender we're responding to and where they want us to have our impact across the uk and that that makes it quite challenging for us to to respond in a in a coordinated way. So we you know, we might have a tender response. Can we have as part of your response, you're gonna do twenty school visits, you're gonna have three apprentices working on this project for you, et cetera, et cetera. We want to do that, but how do we coordinate that when we don't know whether we're gonna win the project or where that project's gonna land? It's 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 quite hard to manage. But there's an opportunity there as well.
0: I have one one more quick point because I've been very negative on this panel. So I'm going to say something positive, which is actually, we did a call out to all of our members who wanted to input into the learning program and get involved in sort of helping to inspire young people. And basically half of all of our members responded and we had 200 responses within a day. So there is an appetite there and people really do want, and partly probably caused by the the skills shortage they're experiencing, they're starting to panic. And when the report comes out, they'll start to realize um, how bad the situation is. So yeah, I, I think we're moving in the right direction. It's just a bit slower than we'd like.
1: Thanks. One question from the, uh, the app that's come through and then we'll go back to the audience. Uh, is green finance a skills shortage? Do you think that we're, we're, we're encountering? And, and again, what might we do to upskill people in green finance if that is something which people are seeing as a, as a key shortage across the workforce? It start? Start? Yeah. Yeah.
2: questions. Um, it's interesting, so I was talking, I've been talking to our, um, we have a big capital markets division that buy and sell buildings, give debt, finance, etc. And I've, I've, over the last years, I've been talking to the team going, you know, do, do we need to have a, a specialist in there? Now, there's probably an opportunity that we haven't realised that we can, but actually their response to me was, it won't be long before this is part of every deal that we do. Mm. So we just need to get on board and upskill and make sure that it's part of every deal. And we're seeing that coming through. We're seeing the way that banks responding to 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 the agenda and actually the criteria that's being pushed through for for, for normal normal loans standard loans is including a lot of ESG you know standard criteria anyway so i think you know we're we're is it bau not 100 yet are we going to get there quite quickly i think the response from our from our debt team in particular will be yes so yeah from us from a skills perspective they need to get on board pretty quickly otherwise we won't have a business um so yeah, uh, yeah that's what we're seeing
3: i totally agree i think the ups is upskilling the existing teams the the sort of the investment the investment teams and I, it's mad how quickly it's moved i think in the finance sector um i mean it's only cop 26 where it really was like the grenade kind of went off and then suddenly now everyone's re- really pushing through and it yeah I think I think what you're better off doing is having really good training providers partnering with the, the sort of existing and moving into it and don't get me wrong there will always be sort of niche roles in that but I don't think the answers to suddenly have a, an army of sort of ESG financial directors Uh, Yeah, I just had one point, which is the Green Finance
0: Institute. There's a pigeon in here. Um, (laughs) The Green Finance Institute is someone we work with quite a lot. And they, in the last couple of years, have been really inundated by an array of questions. And I think um, they've come up with some really innovative approaches with the boroughs on sort of a loan program with all of the London boroughs. Um, But they, you know, this is not my area, but they have said that, you know, this is an area that is um, severely lacking and that we definitely need to be focusing on over the next few years.
1: Interesting. We had a question from the, the
2: floor. So thank you. So I was wondering if the same kind of problem that the school have, have has uh, here is the same in the M's. Can you hold the mic a bit closer. Sorry. Here? Yeah. Yes, okay. <laughs> the same problem that the school has. Yeah. With regard to no one knows nothing regarding sustainability and all these kind of things. So that is the reason why they are not doing anything because yeah. they are lack of knowledge and mission, ambition, and all these kind of things. Is the same in the uh, SME uh, companies. Nowadays. What do you think regarding to that? They need some kind of support, knowledge, yes, and, and mission, and someone who coordinated. Is no one coordinating this something kind of nowadays?
3: There, is, there is this su- supply chain school which they've got. Some, it's more construction focused, and they're and up, only recently getting more engaged with those. But um, and they're yeah, huge amount of content available, and they're hitting a big big part of the market. But again, it's it's it, they're doing some great work. But whether or not it's fast enough, I think that's the the challenge that we've all got. But there is, there is definitely organisations working hard out there at the moment.
2: I think the, the trade associations have a lot of opportunity here. And actually, we've got plenty of them on the task force because there's a coordination activity that they can play to to help reach the SMEs because there's obviously a vast number of them. So how do you, what's the most effective way to, to reach the SMEs and what campaigns, part of, part of the work we'll be doing next is, okay, what campaigns do we need to run to help reach, get the message out into the market and help reach maybe some of the SMEs who may otherwise not see it. So yeah, that the, I think, you know, for me, the biggest, it's the biggest challenge, as I said at the beginning, rather than, rather than the large organizations that can invest, the SMEs actually, where do they get that knowledge? Who do they go to for, for information? Yeah.
0: It's actually in the report early on yep. that we, we got that, that that the knowledge isn't there. They, they're not, some of them aren't even aware they've got a problem, so, <laughs> but they will in a few years. Um, a, a lot of them are seeing it, but um, I think it's, you're absolutely right There, there is a similar problem around knowledge and who do they go to and what are the key issues and how do they solve them? And also, I think another thing came out was, you know, what support is there from government, from local authorities, from, and there is support out there and programs out there and apprenticeships out there they can um, get apprentices from. But again, it's a lack of knowing who to go to or, or what to do, really. Thanks.
1: Just a, a note on the report as well about questions around rather the uh, Royal Institute of Chartered Surveyors are involved in in the task force and in the evidence report can confirm they are and if certain service providers are named as as part of the solution again we're looking across the the sector and and their part they're named in the report as well uh, more of that to come any more questions from the the floor I think I had one over there just seriously if going can try and make the tech work a good start wouldn't it.
0: Hi, thank you. This is Joshua Hayward from AXA Climate. Um, so, Emma, you touched on the lack of public policy in, with regards to upskilling the workforce in the green transition. What's your vision in terms of how businesses and government should or can cooperate finding a solution in, in relation to this problem?
2: Thanks. Good question. So the government has got a green jobs task force in operation at the moment, which is trying to solve what they see see the problem around uh around the transition. And actually, if you read the Chris Skidmore report, Mission Zero, it references um green skills as one of the key 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 areas there and, and the green skills task force. So the it's not to say the government's not doing anything in this space, right? They, they are trying to solve the problem, it's the speed at which is happening and where 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 their focus maybe is. And what I find often with government policy is it's heavily directed towards the domestic sector and the commercial sector is off gotten. Um, and I think that's where I would like to see a bit more of a cross view in terms of actually let's think about real estate as a whole, because lots of those skills are transferable across those two two, two asset types anyway, two two big asset buckets, let's say. So I think for me, you know, let let's think about this as a as a whole issue rather than just focused on the domestic and you know why the government focused on the domestic there's so many there's so many houses that need to be retrofitted i think it's one every two minutes um to reach our net zero carbon goal that's a massive challenge but let's not forget about the commercial sector so i think then to your point about how does business engage with that if government does take that view and have much more of a commercial angle on it then business will engage um and you know we will be there we'll come to the come to the table there's lots of industry partners that can represent us so making sure that they're part of that discussion and that is happening and i, I think chris Goodmore actually is doing a fantastic job at, at pushing um, his mission zero report and, and all the work that's going on around that so we are you know we are seeing lots of engagement coming out of that
1: thanks both i think we're about at time maybe have time for one final question did i see a hand from the floor at the back i think
2: I. um i just wondering what you feel like maybe the role
1: of um local government Um, local authorities has in, um, you know, kind of helping the the green skills issue move forward? Um, Yeah, we work
0: um, with London councils and we're actually working on a a project called Opportunity London. It's about investment in London. But as part of that, um, we're working with all the boroughs on on skills. So they kind of all have a slightly different approach. And London Councils is actually is very good at sort of pulling them together to figure out where we can invest in in skills. So there's definitely a role for local government to play, um, particularly in that connection with schools. That's going to be much more coming from a local level than it is from from government. And as we've identified, there's there's a big problem there. So um, they definitely have a role to play. The tricky thing is is getting them all to sing the same song, I think, which is kind of London Council's um, role, but um, they're all very different. And obviously, there's the political cycle, which we haven't spoken about being a huge problem around objectives. So um, we know this is a key issue. But if you want to get elected, you have to talk about dustbins and dog poo. So it's not always right at the top of their agenda um, to get things done. But um, we have to work with them. Otherwise, it's not going to happen.
1: Super. Everyone else? Well, that brings us to uh, a neat close. Sincere thanks to Emma, Benjamin and Connor uh, for sharing their, their thoughts today. To register your interest in attending, exhibiting, sponsoring or speaking at Innovation Zero 2024, please go to www.innovationzero.com. We look forward to meeting you at Olympia in London on the 30th of
4: April and the 1st of May 2024.